Welcome back to Talking Acoustics. The Australian Acoustical Society Conference was held in Adelaide this month and I got to hear some pretty interesting presentations and meet some pretty interesting people. Uh, one of those papers was by Misha Stevens, who has an interest in psychoacoustics and how we react to unpleasant sounds. Uh, Misha is a consultant with Wood and Grieve based in Sydney and was this year awarded with the Future Leader Award by the National Association of Women in Construction. Um, I got to have a sit down with Misha and have a chat about her research and her work um, towards the end of the conference. If you want to read uh, Misha's paper, which is called The Influence of Binaural Incoherence on Annoyance Reported for Low Frequency Sound, uh, or indeed the paper I presented, which was on designing for speech in circular rooms. Um, the proceedings of the conference are now available at acoustics.asn.au. Anyway, I hope you enjoy uh, our chat. So, Misha Stevens, um, thanks for having a chat. Thank you for having me. Um, so, you're an acoustic engineer consultant yes. Yes. with wooden grave wooden grave engineers that's right um how do you explain what that job is to people that you meet at a barbecue ah first of all i tell them i i don't make guitars because i get that um every second question um essentially i tell them i design buildings in relation to sound so sound coming through walls sound bouncing off walls sound coming through glass building building acoustics that that's what i do yep okay and so how did you get into acoustics did you decide at school that was the um, career for you first of did all did you know that it was mm, it existed yeah <laughs> that's exactly right um in school i didn't know it existed at all i decided i wanted to be a record producer when i was at school and i did my bachelor in um audio production and I did work in the music industry for seven years, working in um, live music venues and recording studios um, in Brisbane. And it was around the time of the G20, actually, um, 2012 in Brisbane, that I was doing a lot of gigs with all sorts of delegates from all over the world and uh, very big, important attendees and stuff like this. And I was doing sound in, in new venues that I, I didn't usually work in, like at universities and things like this. And I was at a university, the UQ had this new um, engineering building and it was beautiful. And um, yeah, the, the sound in there, I, it just made my job so easy. And I thought about all the times that I had done sound for a band or something in a room and I was like, no matter what I do, I can't get, you know, I can't polish a turd, like this room sounds terrible. And there's nothing in my skill set that I can do to change that. And I was like, man, what if, what if someone could do that? What if someone could make rooms sound better? And then I re quickly realised, um, after being in a good sounding room, that you can. And um, so I quickly enrolled to do my master's in acoustics, um, moved down to Sydney, and yeah, here I am. So it was that our profession had so poorly executed room acoustics that you decided you could probably That's do right. a better job than we were doing. That's right. It's more, I think, that uh, not enough people were, were doing it. <laughs> so some of the venues I was in, um, yeah, there'd obviously be no consideration in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you came down to Sydney. So, yes. so you were from Brisbane originally? Sunshine Coast, then Sunshine Brisbane, Coast, yeah. 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 And and so came down to Sydney to do the Masters at Sydney Uni? Yes, that's okay. right. Yeah. And how did you find that experience? Really good. Um, there was a couple of people in my course who also had an audio background and 
I think we struggled initially with all the coding and physics side of it, whereas people have come at it from you know, mechanical engineering. That's kind of the easy part for them. But I like to think of myself as um, someone who, who used to be a tradie, a tradie of sound. I was the hands-on practical side. So um, I have a very good understanding of sound, which, which made some of the theoretical stuff make more sense yeah. to me. And that, that's really helped me continually still yeah. that helps me a lot yeah okay and so then uh, and, and so then from doing that masters in acoustics to going into consultancy mm, another big step <laughs> um again you know you have all these beautiful ideas and formulas and you're like ready to go and make beautiful sounding rooms and then uh you get things like clients and budgets and value engineering and <laughs> That's one of my favourite terms, value engineering. Oh, isn't it great? Um, essentially, uh, having to... I mean, I guess that's the definition of being an engineer. It's problem solving. Mm. And being a consultant, really, there is so much problem solving, not only for acoustics to get the outcome you're, you want, but then dealing with all the various um, stakeholders, um, making sure you're meeting this compliance, making sure it sounds good, making sure the end users are happy, making sure it's on budget, we don't have a budget, okay, what else can we do? <laughs> so, and that's one of the things I liked about doing live sound was all the troubleshooting, um, trying new things, you know, all right, well, this microphone's not working, it could be this, this or that, and going back a few steps and taking different paths to get to a solution. So yeah. I still get a kick out of that. Yeah. yeah. And so most of the work you do now is building acoustics? Yes, yep. yeah. So I do a lot of work in hospitals and schools and commercial. Yep. Um, particularly for some of the uh, newest standards like Green Star and Well, mm-hmm. there's a big focus on acoustics, which has been really good for us. Yep. Um, equally in um, health and education, there's in New South Wales, we've got a lot of new standards that are very stringent on that. So it, I like it because um, I don't have to push too hard. You know, you want something to sound good. I say, well, if you don't do it, you're not going to meet your standards. So yeah, <laughs> it, it puts a, a little bit of validity behind my course, which is nice. Than the that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and you've continued to do some uh, some research work, some yes. experimental work. Yeah. So you had a paper at this conference, and you had a paper a few years ago. Yes. Um, so can you tell me about those papers? That, those yeah. papers, that research. Yeah. So. Um, Again, because I'm not from the, uh, the, the scientific engineering background, um, I'm really interested in just people and I consider sound such a personal experience. Um, that's how I've always dealt with it. I've never thought of it as numbers. Yep. Um, obviously, I do think of it as numbers now and waveforms and all sorts of other... I can see sound in a thousand different ways, but the only way to talk to a client or a colleague or anyone about sound is a personal human experience Mm. Um, so essentially I I wanted to look at how sounds are perceived as annoying it actually originally started as um, a study uh, with with a woman called um, Eugenie um, who was doing a an exhibition. It was a it was an art exhibition, but it was interactive, and uh, she was working with some neuroscientists and stuff, and looking at um, neural pain um, symptoms. So essentially, you know, if you've had a major surgery on a limb, for example, and it's healed, but the pain signal doesn't stop going to your brain, so you're not in any real pain, but you think you are. And then we started looking at how some symptoms or things can induce pain. Um, started looking at the concept of 
nail screeching down a blackboard. People go, oh, that's painful. Or people go, ouch, you know, when something squeaks and they're like, oh, flinching, that, that, that's a painful sound. And I was like, well, hang on, you're not being hurt. Mm. It's not painful, <laughs> but it's that human response. Um, so my initial research looked at grinding, screeching and scraping sounds that would be typically thought of as unpleasant. Um, and then also the ideational factors behind that. So is it just because you know that nails screech? Is it the idea of nails screeching down a blackboard or is it actually the sound qualities? And so did you show people, did you expose them to the sound of nails down a blackboard? Not ex- without the with them without the vision. So it wasn't a vision. It was it was a a, a verbal. Well, you tell them that. It's, yeah, it was this a verbal. Is, this is what the it sound was, is. So yeah, so they would just be a sound, and then they would rate how annoying they found it on a scale, and then in in the B side of that test, there would be, um, uh, you know, a high frequency screeching sound of metal on metal, and then you'd hear it. Yeah. So you, you're preparing yourself yeah, for that, yeah. kind of like when um, you, you get a needle or something. Needles aren't that painful, but when you know there's a needle that's about yep. to be stuck into you, suddenly it's <laughs> a lot more tense. Um, so that's what we looked at there. And I, I, I did look at um, frequency range as one of those things. And obviously those sounds I've just described are in the mid to high frequency range. Um, and, and my test results from that did... did differentiate the frequencies and I found that the low frequencies were not very annoying. Mm. Now, because of the human hearing curve, the low frequency we're not hearing as loud. Yep. So in those samples, uh, what people are mostly hearing for those samples are those high frequency mm. range and, and they're annoying and that's what's present in those samples. So in the study that I've presented this year, I looked at only the low frequency sound mm-hmm. and looking at um, doing different things with sounds various various variables um, with the low frequency sound and how they could also be perceived as annoying because we know it's annoying. We get people complaining about wind farms and traffic noise and machinery. So we know that people find it annoying and I I was having a look at what some of those um, characteristics were, particularly with amplitude modulation and, in fact, probably the thing I'm most interested about, again, is the human perception, is that we have two ears. And all these measurements are taken with a single microphone. And um, f- from what I did find in this is that uh, the interaural cross-correlation of a human listener has a massive impact on how annoying or unpleasant they find things. Yeah. Mm. So what are you most proud of in the work that you've done today? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. Um, I do a lot of work um, beyond my engineering um, with uh, diversity inclusion within the industry. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much that I'm proud of that, but I'm, I'm proud of the difference I'm starting to see in the industry. Um, not, not just be, not because of me, but it, it's really nice to see and I love being a part of that. I think that's really rewarding um, and encouraging um, young girls to get involved again like I didn't know this existed when I was at school so I I think that's really cool Um, project wise um, I think beyond specific projects I think some of the relationships I've built have been absolutely outstanding so having a builder come to me and understand acoustics suddenly um, because I've explained how important it is and and that's really that's been really rewarding actually that kind of relationship Um, I yeah 
So, so <laughs> going back to the to the uh, the gender imbalance. Yes. Um, and I should say you were awarded the Future Leader Award this yes. year by the National Association of Women in Construction. Yes, Congratulations. Very, very exciting. Thank you. Um, not that you need to speak for all womankind, but do you have ideas or thoughts about what we should be doing as an industry to attract more mm. women, attract more yeah. of a, a, a diverse... Um, workplace? I think there's there's no there's no one size fits all and um, when I speak about diversity I, I've, I've had this thrown at me before like you're being sexist because you're only talking about women and it's like well no <laughs> it's the same with age culture I think diversity yeah. is diversity of thought is really important in any organization yeah. and in any industry yep. um, for example here at this conference um, I mean, I'm in my late 20s, so I'm one of the youngest people here, and I'm a woman. Um, but I think that's been really helpful, and things that I've heard from... I mean, we had a speaker here who was 87, <laughs> Sir Harold Marshall, which was absolutely amazing. Yep. And the things he was able to teach us is completely different to... I'm sure I could teach him a few things too. I'm only 28. Like, the, the yep. diverse um, nature of thinking... Um, is is pretty important in all aspects but when it comes to gender i mean half the population is men and women so it would seem like the easiest one yeah but for some reason it seem it's the harder one to crack yeah um i think that the construction consulting engineering industry doesn't attract women um initially i think if if a, if a woman can see value in it though it's a really good goal to chase. It's like for me, it's something I chase. I've, I very much want to be successful in what I do. Um, but yeah, we, without having an initial attraction, it's not something that, because it is a bit of an uphill climb. Like it's not easy. It's not easy. The easy road. Um, but once you've got a passion or an understanding, I think it can be really, really rewarding. And I bring different ideas to the table every day than some of my colleagues. Mm. Um, not because I am a woman, but because. I think differently. Uh, and I conversation I had with um, some of the senior leaders in my company, they say, Misha, I know you're doing all this stuff with, you know, diversity and all this stuff. It's great. He's like, but, you know, sometimes I'll be in a board, you know, you say one of the main things I try to push across in trying to encourage women to be more confident is that sometimes you're in a, say, a meeting and there's 20 men around the table and you're the only woman. Mm. I'm pretty um, confident and outspoken, but I know a lot of my colleagues and other women would feel intimidated by mm. that and maybe not speak up and say, you know, their little thing that they say, oh, you can't put the FCU there, mm. you know, because they're feeling maybe a bit intimidated. Um, some of the male um, colleagues of mine I've talked to, they say, I never even notice that you're the only woman. It doesn't bother me. I don't notice. I was like, because you're not the only man, yeah. though. But when you're the minority, you notice. Yeah. Um, so... Once you have that conversation, it's not that the men in the industry are sexist, it's that they're unaware of maybe how you're feeling. Um, And then once they're more aware of that, suddenly there's a a better inclusive feeling anyway. It's just a change of mindset and I think that's slowly starting to change. More people are talking about it and I think that's making people feel more comfortable and included, which is in turn attracting more women into that industry. It seems more of a comfortable transition. And I think... uh, my my feeling is that it snowballs in that if you have 
women in visible positions mm. doing those jobs, okay. it gives the next generation of women just they see someone doing that's that right. role. Exactly, um, exactly. And it's not you, a possibility if you don't before see that. Anyone yeah. in that? There's not that. Um, there's not that marker. Yeah, that's it? right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't have any. Um, I've actually never had a, a female role model. Um, which, I mean, I say that. I mean, I consider my grandmother a role model for various reasons, um, other things like that, but but not professionally in yeah. that sense. But I, I'm not going to say I want to be a role model, but I would like to set the benchmark, as you say, so that I'm visible enough that mm. other women say, you know, that's a thing, that's possible, yeah. I could do that too. Yeah. Um, so that that's what drives me as well. And then along my path, I've actually met some incredible women working mm. in the industry. So now now I have lots of examples um, ahead of me of, of women who are doing amazing things and I can look up to, which is really great. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you play an instrument? I play viola. Viola? Okay, yeah. Nice. <laughs> She's even nicer than violin. Yeah, I can play the violin, but <laughs> viola was uh, my principal instrument, yeah. So what, what role do you think, has, has what role does music and or playing an instrument mm had in your sort of career choices and, and the way you work? So I've, I started um, music in a very, like, very classical way. Um, I found it really hard to jam with people because all I could do was read sheet music. <laughs> <laughs> and when people were like, let's have a jam and they just yell a chord out, I'm like, um, how many flats are in that? Or like, you know, I was, I was a bit clunky with that. Um, uh, it's a different thing. It Play, is. Playing in an instrument <laughs> and playing in an ensemble. Exactly, yeah. And I was like, do you have a score? <laughs> no, Misha, we don't have a score. Um, and then when I was at uni doing um, audio production, I obviously fell in love with mixing and the mixing desk and I would just tell people, what's your instrument? The mixing desk. I play the mixing. I make other people sound better. In fact, do love um, orchestral instruments, but... I am much better at making other people sound better yep. than myself. Yep. So that's what I that's that's what I stick with. <laughs> Especially in the studio, I I had so many great um, friends and colleagues who were great singers and guitars. That like it's like oh, why would I try? Like I just get them in and they sound great, and I'll put that on the track and it'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? the future holds for acoustics what do you you have any predictions in the direction that we're headed i think um in a commercial sense um it's really great seeing um more standards that are being like i said earlier are being strict on acoustic inclusion in their design Mm. because it actually does help the end user yeah it's and it's in the forefront um like i mentioned earlier the the shitty buildings i was working in um I very much would assume that they didn't have an acoustic engineer on those jobs. But you look at all the buildings now, you'd be hard-pressed to find a building that doesn't have an acoustic engineer on the job. And I think that's really good. Um, And people understanding sound. I'll say something that is um, maybe something every single acoustician has thought of um, when speaking to people who are uneducated in acoustics. Insulation. I need, I need my diagrams. I've got some yeah. diagrams for this. Yeah. <laughs> Thermally, it's fluff. <laughs> I did have an architect recently um, tell, asking me why I couldn't just um, swap out a layer of fibre cement for this 32 kg insulation. And I was t- had, yeah, had to explain it's a different... 
It's Sounds isolation. Sounds like a really good opportunity <laughs> to educate an architect exactly. on the difference between and transmission I think and absorption. That's right. And I think, so when you say in the future, I think the good thing is more, more people um, associated within construction and design are becoming a little bit more educated. Yeah. And I think the more educated they are, the more you'll, we'll start to see that prioritised in design because they'll understand the importance um, when there's a design that, you know, um, they're like, okay, well, we do need to have that. And yeah. I think buildings will start to reflect that more and more. Yeah. Well, let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> we can only hope. And, and, and on a personal level, you're sort of, you know, early-ish in your yes. career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, if you're working till 87, like yeah. Harold, you'll uh, That's right. have a few years left. What, what do you want to do? What are you trying to achieve? What do you, what's interesting to you? Where do you want to go next? It's, to be honest, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, at this stage, I'm fly at the city pants. Um, I am just go, 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 um, working as much as I can, meeting as many people as I can, going to all the diversity events, going to the acoustic events. I just want to be, I probably don't know what I want actually, but I know I want to go somewhere and be involved as, as much as I can and contribute as well. So contributing and research and design, all that sort of stuff. I, I just want to be part of it all. <laughs> Great. Well, Misha Stevens, thanks for talking to me. Thank, thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Matt. If you uh, want to read Misha's paper, uh, that's now available with the uh, rest of the conference proceedings at acoustics.asn.au. Uh, if you want to find out uh, more about Misha's work, um, you can take a look at Wooden Greaves' website, which is wge.com.au. If you want more information on Talking Acoustics uh, and on my guests, you can check out talkingacoustics.com. Thanks for listening.